today. Governor Cuomo involved at the heart of a scandal in undercounting New York nursing home deaths. Also, AOC wants everyone to pay their fair share of taxes. That is, unless you're her. And uh, Washington State plans to literally imprison its residents. It's just another day. It's just another Monday. We've got a lot coming up, obviously, here at the Roundtable, and it starts right now. Welcome to the News and White Matters. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, today joined by uh, two Blaze TV contributors, the hottest Blaze contributors on the market right now. We've got Josh Hammer over here to my left and Eric July over here to my right. I feel like I just introduced you like you're in a cage match. Yeah. I but I don't. So. I'm not sure <laughs> I love you, brother. I hope it's yeah, exactly. I know, right? I was like, we love each other. So. Uh, I would also like to point out that we were supposed to be joined by Chad Prather, who bailed on me. Oh no! Put and I, I am holding a grudge. <laughs> Chad. Uh, let's get into the news of the day. There's a lot. There's a lot that transpired over the weekend to get into. Uh, first, want to cover new, the New York Health Department has now admitted to undercounting nursing home deaths. Uh, and of course, Governor Cuomo is at the heart of the scandal he just had. I believe a press conference uh, released a statement several hours ago uh, in which he said, we now have a top priority, which we've had since day one nursing homes. However, his actions have not really uh, played that through. So the uh, the department made a subtle change to its coronavirus disclosures uh, beginning around May 3rd. And uh, its disclosure now only reports coronavirus deaths for long-term care patients that died while physically present at the facility, but it doesn't count uh, the people who contracted the virus at the facility, but then later died at a hospital. Mm. It leaves all of those people out and uh, it has a it's unveiled the same. They did this the same day it unveiled 1700 previously undisclosed deaths that occurred on the grounds of the long term care facilities uh, for residents presumed to have coronavirus. Yet all we hear in the media is how great Governor Cuomo is doing. I don't feel like these results really back that up, Josh. You know, what a moral fraud Andrew Cuomo is as a human being. Um, let's just like, put that like in like the bluntest, crassest terms possible. Yeah. Um, Andrew Cuomo, I'm not going to, I don't personally know him, and I'm not going to say he's a bad person, but he gives off a lot of the vibes and tendencies that a bad person would normally give off. Like, let's, <laughs> let, let's rewind. I'm not defeat. saying he's a bad person, <laughs> but I'm kind of saying he's a bad person. <laughs> well, I, I mean... At a bare minimum, he's a rabid, raging yeah. hypocrite, okay? Yes. I mean, yeah. his rhetoric about saving one life, which, by the way, no political theorist, politician, statesman in the entire history of civilization has ever actually believed that. No one has ever thought that if there's one such life to save, that you do it at all costs. I mean, in that case, we would have a speed limit on the roads of one mile per hour, obviously. I mean, my anarcho-capitalist friend over here <laughs> would, 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 would be in prison within, like, five seconds. Yes. Um, so, so no one has ever believed that. Um, and, and not just because I don't want Eric to go to prison or anything. Um, but... Go back a little bit of a few years now. Andrew Cuomo, I think it was in 2013 or 2014, he was talking about how at the time New York State didn't want those right-to-life people, those mm-hmm. assault weapon-owning people. He basically said, if, if those are your values, get out get of out. here. We don't want you there. This is supposed to be like the grand unifier of the guy who's kind of preaching kumbaya, this just one life with solidarity, we're all in this together rhetoric. Get out of here, you hypocrite. But you know what? I, the tragedy of Andrew Cuomo was actually made all the worse because his father, Mario Cuomo, was actually a very beloved and well-liked figure. And, you know, I'm not going to say I agree with Mario Cuomo on, on a lot of policies. He was kind of the first, um, he, he was really the first prominent Catholic, actually, to kind of say, like, the personally pro-life, but pro-choice thing. So he actually, he actually did a lot of long-term damage 
on abortion policy and abortion rhetoric in America, but he was a very beloved figure. New York Republicans, Democrats like all loved him. Andrew Cuomo just, he, he continues to kind of tarnish his own legacy with stuff like this. So this is very bad. I hope the Democrats are savvy enough to realize that this is clearly not the guy that you want to bring in to replace Joe Biden at the convention. Although I guess my hopes are, my incentives are not, they're not properly aligned there, to be honest with you. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, just a terrible, terrible look. Yeah, Eric. Well, just so I understand this, it sounds like the deaths that should have been attributed to the nursing homes were not, if I understand this correct. And now they're 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 putting them or placing them where they need to be placed, if I'm understanding this correctly. Yeah. So okay. so right now. So they they made a change right. to their disclosures that they're now they're they've changed it. So that they they went back and looked and found all of these previously underreported. Right. That, sh- that should have been basically attributed Correct. to it, but that were not. Correct. And I think to me, out of all of this, that's very important. I think I wish that we had, because New York City, to be fair to them, they've done probably the better jobs of, of keeping up with, okay, this person was this age, um, this person had these com- comorbidities, a lot better than some of the other places. But information like that is very important. Definitely, if you're going to try to build some sort of um, policy around it, you should you should know that. And I won't say that it's necessarily anything new because that's pretty much I mean, even in Sweden, uh, that was what's attributing to most of most of their deaths are the nursing homes. um, And they let an outbreak kind of occur there. And then they piled up a lot of deaths because of that. So I think it's very important for them to do that. Now, why now? I'm, I'm not exactly sure. And I just don't understand, considering that we know that he did kind of botched that how he could ever say that well we were always doing this or we always were prioritizing them doesn't sound like that was necessarily the case but this is politics they will say whatever sounds good and that's what we're getting and no it doesn't matter how hypocritical they are like you said this whole save one one life this is i I don't know anybody not only that does that believes that but nobody actually lives like that and actually you know extends that to any sort of logical conclusion that you would do anything necessary to save that one person's life, no matter how many others are at stake. And that, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a utilitarian by any means. I just personally don't understand the whole mass form of the lockdown because we know that there is a, let's say a rather target demographic. I'm not saying that not everybody can get sick. Yes, other people of all age groups maybe can can contract the virus, but they don't. it doesn't impact them certainly in the same way. And then you look at 30-something plus million people being put out of work mm-hmm. for this versus, uh, what are we, 80,000 80, or so deaths and uh, X amount of hospitalizations. And me personally, I don't think that's a, that's a trade-off, but it sounds like in order to sort of justify their control, that's the sort of rhetoric that they use. And again, they, they don't even believe it. Well, and I mean, just as a kind of a, uh, an example of that, I nearly blew my top this weekend when I saw there was a journalist who reported that Governor Cuomo himself had actually, when he was speaking on all of these underreported uh, cases, he's trying to, of course, not justify, but justify, defend, <laughs> you know, defend what they're what they're doing, defend their position. And he said he made the statement, the comment that, um, well, whoever gonna, was going to die from this is going to die from this. Like, you're not going to stop the people who are going to die from this to die from this. And I'm like... 
Why did we just shut down the entire economy right. then? Right. It, like, and now you're telling us we're not going to stop people from dying from this. Well, that's what we were saying this entire time. <laughs> exactly. To not shut down the economy. And you told us that we were, we just wanted to kill grandma. So it's interesting to see now how they've come around to the same conclusion that a lot of us were saying, hey, let's not destroy the economy if people are going to die from a disease that they're already going to die from. Interesting to see that play out. But I don't think that New York is the only, New York is really not the only place who is, you know, they're very weak on this, I feel. And we're kind of exposing all of these weaknesses within the country because last week we talked about San Diego, who just came out and said, yeah, only six of the 130 something cases, coronavirus deaths that we had. Oh, actually, now that we're looking at the numbers, um, it appears that only six of them really truly died from coronavirus. We're seeing this type of thing happen in different states around the country that Oh, wait a second. These models were wrong. Uh, the counting of the deaths was wrong. It seems like literally every single way that this country handled it was wrong. And again, I don't mean to be critical. Certainly, you know, I don't mean to be critical of President Trump. I don't mean to be critical of people who are just trying to come up with a policy because Honestly, I think the fault starts with the models mm -hmm. that we use, this Imperial College model. Uh, Washington that, State model, yes, the IMHE model. That yep. apparently uh, is incapable of meeting even the lowest scientific standards um, that, again, a lot of us said, hey, probably we shouldn't be using this one specific model to base an entire global economy policy off of. And yet we did. Um, I feel like it starts with that, though, Josh. Am I, am I wrong? No, I don't think you're wrong. I mean, the way I view this is that two things can be true at once here. One is... Once March happened, we were in uncharted waters. There really was no historical precedent for yeah. this. Obviously, the Spanish flu is the closest thing we have, but the country has grown in size and scope and in, in industrial scale so much that there's really no relevant historical comparison. So that, that's true. So given that we theoretically should be viewing our public officials' responses through some lens of grace, charity, um, et cetera. But here's the second point. Even conceding that first premise Historians are still going to look back at this and say everyone across the board just totally botched it. Right. Um, th th this is not going to be viewed well. The, the, the historical consensus when they write books on this, and there will be books written on this for decades, if not centuries, frankly, because um, this is a once-a-lifetime global event that we're currently living through. Um, it's not going to be positive because these models were off. And everyone across the board just kind of, I mean, erring on the side of caution, obviously, is one thing. Rhetorically, that sounds nice. If anything, my instincts in the beginning were actually along those lines. But months-long lockdowns, the goalpost shifting, and just like staying in your home until a vaccine is out, this is bat crap crazy stuff. <laughs> I mean, um, you, know, you know, again, like, I'm not like as anarcho-capitalist libertarian as my friend over here, but, <laughs> but even I, like, my, like, civil liberty, civil libertarian, like, like the hairs back of my neck start to itch up when yeah. I hear some of this rhetoric. It's, it, it, it's no bueno. It's really not good. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, no, completely right. I mean, they, we will look back at this, and I believe Johnny Anitas of Stanford University was sort of ahead of this when he said, and a lot of people, a lot of his own colleagues got mad at him when he said this has the potential to be one of the biggest evidence fiascos ever. Like, because that's exactly sort of what this is turning out to be. Now, he wasn't coming out and saying that's what it was going to be. He was just saying on the early on, like, it doesn't seem like this, this, this response may have been proportionate. And then as, you know, he was sort of heading that, that Stanford, uh, was that Santa Clara County mm -hmm. study that came out, which said, that, yeah, I mean, this thing is the infective fatality rate is is about for under certain ages, probably in the ballpark of you driving to your own uh, w workplace. Yeah. Uh, you've got just as much likely to die. Right. So 
my thing is I want to obviously avoid this again, but I do think that leaders that have kicked this can down the road, even when the evidence was put out there. I could maybe, I'm obviously going to disagree from a philosophical standpoint, but if I conceded that, all right, early on, they had to do it because they didn't know what what was going on. So even if I did concede it, we're we're going on to the third month of this now, I believe there's enough evidence that shows that it's not nearly as lethal as what you guys initially anticipated. So to me, you make the adjustment based on that. You don't say... Yeah, we're going to shut down for another three months. But here's the thing. Even if the lethality rate, even if the even if the metrics were according to the models, we still botched our response yeah. because th- these mass society wide lockdowns in lieu of targeted quarantines of the nursing homes, yeah. of, of, of the of, of the comorbidities. Yeah. Um, uh, that is still even if you can see that the, that the lethality rate might be the same, we still botch it by doing this sweeping across the board response as opposed to a more targeted response. Especially if you look at, let's say, for instance, uh, flu deaths, which I know it's not the flu. I got it. Okay, I know I got it. My point <laughs> is, people die from the flu Absolutely. every flu season, Absolutely. right? More children are affected and die from the flu than even comes close to this. Mm-hmm. We haven't taken kids out of school uh, since I can remember yeah. ever yeah. in history. Kids go to school every single flu season knowing that that is out there, knowing that the children could die from it. We've had no problem keeping children in school. So it just is such a bizarre state of affairs that you would take, like you said, Josh, a virus that really statistically is like there are oh, there's what maybe a couple of children who are outliers in this mm-hmm. but really statistically speaking does not affect children True. and you're shutting down schools and not letting children out uh into the real world over it because it kills older people and people with comorbidities that makes no sense to me it's like that, that, like you said it should have and i and i spoke about this earlier like even if you didn't believe the Chinese numbers, the Italian numbers, the South Korean numbers said the exact same thing, that clearly the people with the comorbidities, clearly the elderly, I believe like the average age in Italy was like 80 years yeah. old. Uh, people that like, So you knew that there was a clear demographic of people that were either going to be severely injured from this or possibly die from this. Mm-hmm. It would have made way more sense to quarantine them, if anybody, or Make and, and sort of we try to not come in contact with them as opposed to treating everybody like we're the exact same and we're all going to be impacted the same way. That is what made no sense. It just makes no sense whatsoever. And, you know, as a lawyer, I'll just I'll point out like a legal point, too. Um, you know, obviously, I think most viewers are familiar with our with, with our federalist structure. OK, the federal government is a limited government of enumerated powers. The state governments, as James Madison says in Federalist 45, the powers reserved to them are numerous and indefinite. The states have broad police powers under our constitutional structure. And indeed, there's a wealth of evidence that the founding generation thought about pandemics as a key example as to how the police power could be used forcibly to shut down institutions, etc. Mm-hmm. Having said that, there, once again, is no historical precedent for what we've done. Like, the founders talked about responding to a pandemic by shutting down your local restaurant. That's actually all in there. But a, a true, like, society-wide lockdown has never been done before. And even if it's legally kosher, and I'm actually not, I'm not convinced that it's not, but even if I, even if you can see that it's legally kosher, uh, sorry, legally kosher, okay. culturally speaking, for we the people to choose to give that up for a prolonged duration has long-term insidious effects. And so, l- let me ask you this, then, at as the attorney at the table. <laughs> um, so, but wouldn't the government then have to come back? I mean, 
they're going to be faced with lawsuits. There's no way that lawsuits don't come out of this to set some sort of a precedent. Don't the governments have to then, in hindsight, be able to defend that they had enough support to show that, like, yes, we had every reason to think that X, Y, Z was a huge factor, and that's why we shut everything down. That's why we kept people in their houses. I mean, don't they, in hindsight, if this case goes to, you know, the court system, Mm -hmm. they would have to still, I mean, they can't just say, like, yeah, it was an emergency, so we did whatever the hell we wanted. Do they, I mean, they need something to go off. So this of, right? is an ongoing area of legal dispute. Okay. Um, I hate to I hate to give like a very lawyerly answer, <laughs> um, but like we literally are in uncharted waters here. And in particular, we're, we're talking about economic liberties in particular, right? Yeah. Your, your right to pursue a living, your right to uh, bring home bacon for the family. Historically speaking, the courts have not afforded a whole lot of constitutional protection to economic liberties. Huh. Um, in particular, your economic liberties historically, the courts have said are oftentimes not to get too deep in the weeds, but often subject to what lawyers will call the rational basis test, which basically means if the lawyers ha- if the if the politicians have a rational basis for their policy, then they can basically just do whatever. Um, that's that's in contradistinction to some of your other constitutional rights, like your right to abortion and whatnot, that the courts generally say you have to have a much you know higher barrier, higher threshold to do. So. It'll be interesting to see if we can kind of move the economic liberty case law, that if, if the constitutional jurisprudence actually does evolve in a good direction. That could be a silver line that comes out of this. I tend to be a pessimist on all things court-related, so I'm not particularly optimistic about that, but that would be a nice silver lining. Yeah. All right. We've got a lot more to get into. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Patriot Mobile. So Patriot Mobile is going above and beyond right now to help Americans stay in touch with each other. They have got customized plans right now starting at $25 for a customized family plan. Uh, Now, by the way, in case you're not aware of who Patriot Mobile is, they share your values. They are like you. They're not going to charge you hidden fees. And uh, when I say share your values, what I mean is they're not like the other big mobile companies who are going to send a portion of your bill, your hard-earned money, to causes like Planned Parenthood and other leftist causes that you're spending your time, your free time, like fighting against, and you're spending the other part of your hard-earned dollars donating to, uh, donating against maybe you're pro-life, maybe you're pro-Second Amendment, um, all of these things. Big Mobile is actually donating a portion of your bill to fight against all of your values. You don't want to do that. Switching is easy. It's 2020, all right? You can keep your phone number. You can bring your phone over. You can buy a new one. Whatever you want, it's a breeze. Uh, But you can get the same nationwide reliable service with Patriot Mobile. Right now, they will waive your activation, plus send you a free gift with the offer code NEWS. All you got to do is call 972-PATRIOT if you still use phones for their original intended use or... More importantly, you can visit patriotmobile.com slash news. Get that customized family plan today starting at just $25. That is patriotmobile.com slash news. Our favorite House representative, Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Apparently, you know, she's... Not sure if you know this. Maybe you missed it. She's a big proponent in having everyone pay their fair share of taxes, especially the wealthy. Uh, she has actually, according to uh, an ongoing investigation, failed to pay taxes that she has owed for seven years. Uh, the bill has grown to more than $2,000. And uh, apparently it's uh, in connection to a failed publishing business that she started in 2012. The state dissolved her business in 2016 which obviously it can do when a company does not pay the corporate taxes that it owes. And uh, the state filed warrant against the congresswoman's business in July of 2017. And that was only about $1,600. But, you know, it it grows. It turns out when you don't pay your bills, your bills kind of grow. And uh, now it's a little over $2,000. It's just interesting, though, because 
two things stick out to me. Number one, that she is not putting her money where her mouth is literally Mm -hmm. and paying her fair share. Number two, that she would actually engage in some sort of a capitalist venture, like (laughs) opening up your own business. That's it's crazy to me. You know, Sarah, what is it about these socialists that just seem to kind of preach socialism in their private life? They're, they're all capitalists, it's right? It's almost like Champagne they understand so- where, to, yes, yeah. where to get the money. The limousine liberals, as, we, as, <laughs> yes. as you used to say. I mean, Bernie Sanders has, what, three houses? Yeah. Yeah. For all we know, he's looking into a fourth. Um, <laughs> his wife had some, it was, it was some shenanigans at the University of Vermont. She was like a provost or a president there. She kind of got some sweet on the way out, cashed out way more than she should have. Oh, and but he and he made a lot of money from books. Yes, that right? too, of course. Which would not capitalist be... venture, right? Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, the, uh, look, not to like go back to the hypocritical point from the Cuomo point, but I guess you kind of have to go back to the hypocritical point. I mean, I mean, I mean people, they, they're just raging hypocrites. Yeah. I mean, put your money or your lack of money in this case right. where your mouth is. Um, now, now, a lot of people on the left will say like, oh, that's irrelevant, ad hominem attack. No, it's really not an ad hominem attack because if you are preaching something and not just preaching something in the abstract and the philosophical and like a chalkboard, but if you're preaching something as a system of governance that you want to forcibly impose mm-hmm. on we the people – you probably should start by doing that yourself as like a, as a one ad hoc, one-off example. So, um, you know, I, I mean, what is there to say about AOC that hasn't been said, obviously, right? I, that, that hasn't been said before. I mean, I, I guess she wants to challenge Chuck Schumer is what everyone's saying for the, for, for the Senate next cycle or whenever, huh. whenever Schumer's up. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly, right? Um, I mean— I hadn't heard that. Oh yeah, I'm really. That's really me digesting oh, oh, it in oh, full time, oh, oh, in real oh, time. Oh, I mean, oh no, that's a that's a very popular rumor. I mean, who knows who, who knows wow. if she'll do it, but that rumor is totally out there. Um, hard to see how she gets any votes of people who are over the age of like 22, though, right? I, I mean, like if you have like you mean enough, people who understand how the world works. Yeah, if, if you have like enough functioning brain cells, and or you've been like alive on the face of the earth for long enough, you're probably not going to vote for Alexander Ocasio Cortez, but. Um, Hypocrisy. Yeah, yeah Eric. Uh, you know, just to just to kind of highlight Josh's point, I did see a lot of people who, when the, in reading this news story, they would go, "Well, we still haven't seen Donald Trump's tax returns," and I'm like, "Well, Donald Trump isn't the one who's trying to shove all of the, you know, a 70% tax rate down everyone's throats." So I'm thinking it's a little bit different. Yeah, no, it most definitely is different, and that's what makes it worse. Uh, now, I'll you never catch me defending taxation right. of any form. Right. However. It's it's blatantly hypocritical. And these are the folks that I have. I I do take issue with when they want to sort of impose this this this, these taxes or or regulations upon other individuals. And they themselves don't basically walk it like they like they talk it Mm -hmm. is what's going on. So that's what makes to me what she's saying or more so uh, what she's done more more criminal because she she has to know that is a thing. Right. She has to. She's not completely oblivious to that uh, she has some taxes that has not been paid, yet she still has no issue going on the campaign trail, lecturing everybody about how they should pay their fair share. And she's not paying what could be deemed as her fair share. Mm-hmm. So I can't defend necessarily her for that. She's getting what she deserved. This is how, how it works. Um, so, you're say, so you're saying it would be different if she was like on, on your side yeah, of the fence. Yeah, well, I'm always said, yelling, you know, taxation is theft, yeah. shouldn't be Bingo, yeah. And I, 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 I'd be the first one, even at, I'd be the first one to come to her defense right. if that was her position. Yeah. But it's not. Yeah. You know, this is this is the, the sort of, uh, you want it even more so because you would rather people get definitely the wealthy, get taxed more. Right. So in this case, there's no defending you there. I, yes, taxation is theft and it sucks. I mean, you know, uh, she started a business. Congratulations. But you're still... Still lecturing everybody else on how they should be paying their taxes and you're not paying yours. 
it's hard to defend that. Yeah. Uh, speaking of taxes, Governor Gavin Newsom moving over to California uh, is going to give illegal immigrants $75 million in stimulus money despite cutting $19 billion from schools. What could possibly go wrong here? So, um, you know, last month, I think we heard that the New Jersey governor was open to uh, providing illegal immigrants with $600 a week, even though, again, that's one of the states that is running out of money, uh, Mm -hmm. expects expects the federal government to then go ahead and bail them out. Um, But California now has decided it it starts today that they are going to provide uh, money to illegal immigrants. So um, it's good to know. That our uh, our money is going where it needs to go. Priorities and in order. Out, right, out of out of schools, yeah. away from children, and to the people who uh, just by the essence of being here are lawbreakers. Yeah, you know, look, illegal immigration is an issue that I've been writing about and passionate about for a long time now. Here's what here's part of the reason why I'm so passionate about it. I, I was an economics major in college, Sarah, and like one of the first things you learn in economics theory is. Um, economists use the term uh, homo economicus. Um, it, you know, it's a playoff homo sapien, obviously. And the paradigm that that term means is that human beings are irrational creatures and we respond to incentives. What Gavin Newsom is doing here is in the context of the immigration discourse is providing incentive. It's a carrot. And the, all you do with that, with those carrot approaches, is that you incentivize more illegal immigration. And who pays for illegal immigration? Everyone pays for illegal immigration. The illegal immigrants pay for illegal immigration because they are oftentimes transported here against their will by the traffickers, the cartels, these vicious people who, who, who oftentimes engage in the worst sort of gang rape on, on, on these horrible human trafficking rings through Mexico. It's a humanitarian disaster. It's obviously a fiscal disaster disaster for the American people. It, 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 the ramifications are obviously through the roof, but um, this is it, it, it's so horrible. But it also says everything you need to know about Gavin Newsom. It says everything you need to know about where the Democratic Party's priorities are headed as we get closer to 2020 and ultimately 2024. Yeah, Eric. Yeah, I've seen a, a lot of conversation among, let's say, some other demographics like, you know, let's just throw it out there. Black folk are starting to you, I mean, you said it, not they're, us. They're turning like, it, it's, no, it, it, on a serious note, it's yeah. like they, it seems that these governments are prioritizing people that aren't them yep. with their money. Yep. Now, my thing about this when it comes to, it goes back to what we were just discussing with the taxation thing. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's where the problem lies. No matter where you're at on, on, on immigration, um, legal, illegal, whatever you want to call it. The core issue is, is that we're rerouting people's money to things that a lot of them otherwise would not want to fund. Mm-hmm. And I think that is why this types of stuff creates so much turmoil, because like of all things that you're taxing me for, it's going to to those folks. Mm-hmm. And if that is something that you, I've talked about this and I've been covering this for years, for example, with like the whole the, the, the refugee deal yes. and, and how basically people we subsidize refugees. Uh, uh, resettlement programs. So this is taxpayer-funded programs. And I'm like, if you yourself wanted to somehow fund some refugees' travel to whatever X country, um, that's your business. Mm-hmm. And if you want to reach in your own pockets and do that, by all means, I think you should have the right to do that. The issue that I have, be it with with immigration or it's just like anything else, is that you're rerouting people, you're taking from people, and then you're redistributing to people that they otherwise Again, would not. So like you said, there may be people that would rather their money go to funding schools or in, in, in their case, maybe funding whatever themselves. It's their money at the end of the day. And here we have it going to someone 
that, again, isn't even in your geographical area, or more so they're trying to get to your geographical area. And I, to me, that is the core issue with this, is that you're taking people's money and you're rerouting it. And I think if we somehow, and as optimistic as it may sound, nullified that issue, I think on the subject of immigration, you wouldn't have so much, uh, dare I say, disparity um, in that regard. So do you think that that this kind of thing factors at all into movements like Blexit? But I mean, you know, you, we've seen where there is it's hard there to say to be there's an awakening. Yeah, absolutely. Of, there is. I mean, because it, it, look, it's just the, the reality of the situation. When I look at it and this is me just talking to my family members and I'm not going to pretend like every single black person thinks like this. But we look at any sort of election cycle. Mm-hmm. And when you see that, let's say the Democrats then prioritize They'll, they'll advocate for your voting, you know. Right. I mean, 90% of black folks that vote tend to vote for, let's mm-hmm. say, the Democratic uh, nominee. And they vote for them, and then once they get in office, it seems like they were doing, they do so much more for, let's say, immigration right. than they right. would do for black folks. Right. So I think that's what's created. And again, you can argue that that's something that it's artificially created because why would they do that? However, it is what it is. It's just sort of that's the that's the chips you know, that are on the yeah. table right now. So they have to look. My whole deal is if I, if we somehow could have people more so routing their money where they wanted it to go, we nullify this sort of issue. But of course, folks are going to be like and they are under every obligation. I would much rather take care of my family their personal family mm-hmm. than someone else's. And I completely understand it. That's not a, no matter where you're at on immigration, that's not an irrational uh, position to have. I mean, I'm pretty sure we all care about our families where we care about some ones that we, we, we never met. So why can't I use that money to, to then subsidize my own family as opposed to subsidizing someone else's? Yeah. All right. Uh, we have got more coming up, including Washington state, just Literally about to imprison its residents. Nothing to see here. Move along. First, we want to thank our sponsor, Rough Greens. So if you are a dog owner, you love your dog, you buy them this expensive dog food probably. If you're buying them the dry kibble, the dry dog food, uh, they actually, all of the manufacturers, sterilize all of that food, which means they kill all the awesome stuff that your dog really needs, all the nutrients to live a happy, healthy life. They're killing all of that to give it a long shelf life. Well, lucky for you, there is Rough Greens, which is a dog food supplement. Now, it's not. it does not replace your dog food. You sprinkle it on top of your dog's food and it adds all of those things back in that they're lacking from their dry dog food. Vitamins, minerals, enzymes, probiotics, omega oils, and antioxidants. It supports a healthy skin and coat. It improves their digestion. And uh, if your dog's getting older, getting up there uh, in years. It gives them a more youthful energy. It improves their mobility and joint health. Your dog is going to love it. Now, my dog's a puppy, so I can't speak for the older dogs, but Glenn Beck has, and he has said that his dog loves it. Stuber Gear as well. Uh, he's got a very old pug. His dog, he's seen improved health in his dog as well. Um, mine just is a really, really picky eater, and uh, she finally will eat her food now that we put rough greens on it, and it's saving me so much money from having to go to that ridiculous homeopathic vet that all of you guys make fun of me for going to. Take the rough greens 14-day jumpstart challenge today for $14.95. You will see the difference in your dog in 14 days or less. All you got to do is go to roughgreens.com slash blaze. That is R-U-F-F greens.com slash blaze. All right, Washington State Governor Inslee uh, has laid out a statewide contact tracing plan 
for COVID-19. Now, this has been uh, an idea that has been floated. I know nationally. I don't see how it could possibly be implemented in a place like the United States. I know that they've had some success in other countries South where, Korea. yeah, South Korea, where they've got a much, much smaller population, much easier to be able to trace. Um, I don't see how that's possible in the United States. However, uh, Governor Inslee laid out his plans for this statewide contact tracing initiative. Uh, it, you know, it starts with isolation quarantine upon first symptoms. Um, of course, they say data is only accessible to public health professionals. It's not going to be shared with anyone else. Take that for what it's worth whenever you're sharing your information with the government. Um, they want to test widely once they find people who have been exposed to someone who has tested positive um, and so that they can isolate quickly and identify and quarantine contacts. Now, with that being said, uh, Governor Inslee, this is, it's very cute because it's hidden at the bottom of this story. But uh, apparently, for those people, uh, individuals and businesses that do not comply, the governor said that uh, there will be sanctions in civil or criminal court. Oh, and also, by the way, just as a little last line thrown in here, uh, individuals that refuse to cooperate with contact tracers and or refuse testing, if you refuse a test, those individuals will not be allowed to leave their homes to purchase basic necessities such as groceries and or prescriptions. Oh, wow. uh, those persons will need to make arrangements through friends, family, or a state-provided, quote, family support personnel. Um, Eric, you want to? Yeah, I mean, I know I've been on record calling these lockdowns saying that they're imprisoning people in their own houses. But that's certainly what that is. Like, that's not even up for dispute. If it gets to that point to me, it would have made more sense. Of course, we would have probably all been against it if they were doing that initially. But certainly now, like this is just ruining people's lives and making it very inconvenient for them to go about their their uh, their lives. But that's insane to imprison someone in their own house in the event that they don't want to go with this state funded, you know, for refusing testing tracing program which is insane it'd be one thing if people and i we talk about what is voluntary all the time look if there was some private owner that well hey i came up with the the covet 19 app and if you have it you can log in and you could sign up and you know you can if you log in you can see where all these other people are like that's one thing but that's not at all what this is and and i don't understand like okay for these big brain um, you know, this is in Washington, too, is yeah. it not? So, yeah, there's got a lot of tech folk out there. I would think that they'd be able to figure something like that and do it privately, at least, instead of trying to do this whole state-funded nonsense um, and forcing people to sort of comply to this mm-hmm. the, these rules. It's just, it's absolutely nutty. But no longer can they sit up here and say that I'm just exaggerating yeah. if I say that they're imprisoning people in their house if it gets to that point. Yeah, Josh. Yeah, you know, I'm more of like a solidarity-centric, common good conservatives, use the, the lingo of the day. Um, definitely definitely than my friend over here, perhaps than you as well, Sarah. But um, again, not to, re- to repeat something I said earlier in the show, stuff like this really does make kind of like the civil libertarian, like deep within me, like the hair on the back of my neck just like raise up like a, you know, like a spine or whatever. Um, I, I agree with everything Eric says, matter of policy. I'll just add like a legal point as well, though. Um, you know, our Fourth Amendment, which is our constitutional right against um, unreasonable searches and seizures, oftentimes interpreted in the context of, of, of warrantless wiretapping and things of that nature, 
Um, it's been interpreted for decades now, uh, especially a 1960s case called Katz, to give you essentially a quote-unquote right to privacy. Um, most conservatives, including myself, are very skeptical of that. In fact, I actually was going off on that on Twitter literally earlier today um, in a totally separate context. But, but that currently is Supreme Court doctrine. That is currently the, the case law in America. Um, it's unclear to me at best how this is reconcilable with your Fourth Amendment right or right regardless yeah. um, to privacy. Um, yeah. So I'm, I, you know, as a lawyer, I'm going to be curious to watch how this plays out in the court system. Um, it's going to be absolutely fascinating. But yeah, on a, on a policy matter, this is, uh, look, I'm not going to, we tend to overuse the term Orwellian, um, <laughs> but this is pretty Orwellian now. stuff. Yeah. Not now. <laughs> it's pretty Orwellian stuff. <laughs> We're seeing it every day. I remember I have a, uh, I think I wore it. I think maybe you were here. Someone was here. Uh, it said, make Orwell fiction again. Yeah, like my yeah, my yeah. favorite yeah, yeah. shirt that I have now because it's so it's so on point for what's going on right now uh, in 2020. All right, more to come. First, we want to thank our sponsor, NetSuite, for this segment. So uh, you probably learned lately what is important in life uh, with all of these lockdown situations. And it's really taught us what we need to eliminate, what we maybe need to change. This is the same for business. If you're an entrepreneur, you got to be thinking about what changes maybe you need to make, especially if you have uh, this, you know, all of these multiple software systems that are not talking to each other, that are not cooperating with each other. Maybe you've got accounting over here. You've got a different one for HR. You've got a different one for sales. You are missing out. All you really need is NetSuite by Oracle. It is the world's number one cloud business system. And it has all of those different systems, the finance, HR, inventory, e-commerce, whatever you need to actually like get a good growing business. They have it all in one place. You're saving time, you're saving money, you're saving headaches, and you're also helping your profit margins. NetSuite gives you visibility and control so you can manage everything with precision. You can join over 20,000 companies who trust NetSuite to go faster with confidence. All you have to do uh, is you can go to netsuite.com slash why. You can get a free guide, seven actions businesses need to take now. You can also schedule a free product tour. That is netsuite.com slash W-H-Y. I mean, if you enjoy doing things like making money, probably in your best interest to go to netsuite.com slash why. All right, Justin Amash has announced over the weekend he officially will not be uh, running for president. He said, he's, I've spent nearly three weeks assessing the race, appearing in media, talking to delegates and donors, watching the Libertarian Party's convention plan unfold, and gathering feedback from family, friends, and other advisors. After much reflection, I've concluded that circumstances don't lend themselves to my success as a candidate for president this year, and therefore, I will not be a candidate. Uh, now, I just would like to point out he is a representative, because I we had a whole, we talked about this when he announced that he was exploring and I swear there were 10 million comments of people who were like, who's Justin Amash? And I couldn't tell if they were joking or serious. So he is a, a congressman, Justin Amash from Michigan, not running. Uh, Josh, what do you think? You know, it's funny. The first thing I think of when I think of Justin Amash, I mentioned the Fourth Amendment in the previous segment. I got into a Fourth Amendment Twitter spat with Justin Amash the summer before I started law school. So I give Justin Amash a lot really? of credit for engaging with some like prospective law student who had like a thousand followers at the time. <laughs> and Justin Amash does have a lot of things going for him. He's very good about it. On Facebook, he explains every vote, et cetera. 
Um, I've nonetheless been critical of him for for various policies, none, none of which are particularly relevant right here. Um, his, calcu- his political calculation is obviously correct. Okay, um, the Libertarian Party institutionally is a joke. Um, it, it has never not been a joke. It will never not be a joke. Uh, it is it, it is consigned to the ash heap of history of being a permanent joke. And politically speaking, the people people who are of a libertarian streak, the more that they can rally behind the Republican Party, the better. Okay, that that, that is obviously the nature of this beast. Let's just be crass and blunt about this. We live in a two-party system and like we can wish that weren't so but yeah. we do that that, yeah. that that is america and, and that's frankly been america going back to the first party system back in the late 1790s of the federalist party of alexander hamilton john adams versus the jeffersonian madisonian democratic republicans we've pretty much with very rare blips in the radar since then always been a two-party system so um i i think the more people that can just kind of pragmatically and practically accept that whether they would wish it or not and there certainly are a lot of criticisms of the two-party system of course but that 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 is who we are. That is at this point is pretty well enshrined in our DNA, and I think that it is a savvy move um, for Amash personally to not subject himself to what probably would have been a humiliating third party run, because most third party runs are by definition humiliating. Yeah, Eric, are your feelings hurt for what he said about the Libertarian Party? Well, I'm not a member of the Libertarian Party, so I mean that that <laughs> doesn't um, it doesn't impact me at all. I know a lot of people, obviously, that I know among the Libertarian Party are trying to see. More so what his, if he intends to sort of stay with the party, right. because him converting over sort of made him basically the first Libertarian Party uh, congressman. And he, um, he's, isn't he, he's technically still an independent in Congress, I think, right? I, I, don't, I don't, well, I thought it was that he, he Did switched he officially his, switch yeah, over? Switched his okay. uh, uh, political, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I know people are still talking about that as far as um, if that's something that he's going to keep doing, um, because they think that there's a lot to build on it. I'm not really into, I, I, I don't get, I mean, I talk politics, but people don't, I talk, I say it all the time, how I'm not like necessarily political in terms of what I do um, and, and let's say in my form of activism, right? Like when it comes to libertarianism, me personally, I think culture is, look, that's, Politics is a lagging indicator. You change the culture, you change the politics first. Um, or you change the culture, you then change the politics by default, more so. And that, to me, is where I think that the libertarian message, if it is to be going to resonate with people, I think that's where it starts. It has nothing to do with politics, per se. Uh, most people that do tend to run for the Libertarian Party do not see uh, a lot of success. And when they do see success, which is what, to me, that party should be focusing on, is more at the state and local level. Mm. Um, they do have representatives um, in, in that regards. National runs, they pretty much stand no chance because we are in this sort of two-party system. But either way, again, you change the politics by default if you can change the culture. So this is why I'm always encouraging libertarians to not get so caught up in, in being affiliated with a party and use whatever subculture that they're particularly a part of. With me, it's like music and comics and all of that stuff. And that is my sort of, let's say, my vehicle, <laughs> if you will, to sort of get this message out there and converse with people that otherwise would, you know, I may not agree with from a political standpoint. Um, I've had a lot of success in that regard. So to me, that's where the focus should be. He never stood a chance uh, running for a libertarian party. And no matter who comes behind him, it's not going to stand a chance either. So if they are going to focus on politics, at least focus at the local level because they don't stand a chance nationally. Yeah. All right. Back in a minute. I just want to hear Gary Johnson explain what Aleppo is <laughs> over and over. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
All right, Friday's poll. How many times have you broken quarantine since the pandemic started? Uh, 70, 71% of you said what quarantine? <laughs> so followed by 16% who said more than 20, uh, 8 to 10, or eight, 8 to 10 times. 7.2% of you said, and 5.7% uh, of you said one to two times. Oh, that's so cute. There's almost 6% of you guys who are really, really, really good at following rules. Um, not that I would say at all that I did not follow the rules because it, I were on camera. So I'm not going to admit that right now. Uh, anyway, today's poll, who, which VP pick would be the biggest disaster for the Biden campaign? Here are your options. Warren, Klobuchar, Abrams, or Kamala Harris. That's tough. That's a tough one. I, I don't even... Abrams? I think Abrams is the obvious choice yeah. here. Um, I would honestly say Liz Warren because I, she's literally less likable than, really than like, uh, the Ebola virus. I mean, like, I mean, like <laughs> Liz Warren appeals to no one. She, she, she's... I'm, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'm going to cut myself off before I say something that, bad. That, <laughs> she's like the crazy radical feminist, I think, yeah. and that's it, yeah, Eric. No, I'd probably say Kamala Harris. Really? Yeah, just because... To see that people were finally holding their feet to the fire in terms of her record yeah. on her way out. Yeah, yeah, that's that true. That will crank back up. I'm going to go with Abrams. I'm going to go with Abrams because she's just a disaster to keep watching, and I'm loving every second of it. All right, let us know what you think. Thanks, guys.